This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and my guest is Roman Skoraki. Roman is the medical director of the Stephanie Spielman Comprehensive Breast Center, and he also leads the James Division of Oncologic Plastic Surgery. The Spielman is one of the largest and best medical centers devoted entirely to screening, diagnosing, and treating women with breast cancer. Roman will fill us in on what he and his team do, the great advances that have been made in treating breast cancer, and he'll also fill us in on what's next. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. So the last time you were on, it was you were fairly new as the medical director of the Spielman, so you've had some time to let some things sink in. What, what's it been like the past year? Um, d- drinking from the, the fire hose still, I think. <laughs> still? That, yeah, it still <laughs> seems very early on. I think it's just such a, um, such a large center. There's so many things going on, so many exciting things going on, so many people. Um, so it's, uh, and it's, it's constantly evolving, which, which makes it incredible. And, and so just a great, great uh, place to be part of. Uh, and so that's why I think the, to, to truly comprehend the, the, the breast center will take a little longer. But I think I'm starting to get a good handle. Okay. And you said it's, it, that, that whole concept of large, it's one of, if not the largest, centers devoted just to breast cancer in Ohio and beyond? In the, in the Midwest, in yeah. The Mid- we're the largest freestanding comprehensive breast center in the Midwest. Yeah. yeah. So having that sort of all-in-one center where women can come for many different procedures in one building devoted just to that. How does that sort of help patients like mentally and also in terms of their treatment outcomes? Uh, I think it's tremendous. I mean, I think all of us in the center, we believe, you know, in this concept, I think it's incredible for so many reasons. A, as you mentioned, it's a, it, it's, it's a, it's a cutting edge place. I mean, there's, uh, there's innovation. We have innovation in screening and treatment. Uh, we have uh, some of the latest and greatest technology available to us. Um, but at the same time, it has that kind of almost familial feel and, and everybody is under one roof, which uh, uh, really kind of helps us communicate um, about the individual patient and, and really kind of tailor their, uh, their, their treatment and their experience, um, which is what, what we do on the phones with email constantly all day long. Uh, but then it goes beyond that because you're constantly... Um, because we're with each other, we're, you know, we're, it's easy to raise a question. It's easy to, to come up with that research idea with, uh, with uh, you know, the, the, the clinical problem that we don't have an answer to, and then you bounce it off a colleague. And so it's a very kind of symbiotic um, place from a, from a clinical, from an emotional, but also from a research point of view. And it makes it, uh, I think, uh, makes it very special. That concept of bench to bedside is it it works easier when the person on the bench Absolutely. is in an office next door to a person who takes care of per- patients on the bedside. Exactly, like so many things, I think if you know that pe- person's face, you know you know you know not their name, you know a little bit about them, and it's just so much easier to pop in and uh, and, and 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 exchange ideas, exchange uh, thoughts, and and that's absolutely the case for us. Yeah. How many people work? At the Spielman, it's um, it's a, it, it, there are over 340 people that work in the Spielman, um, and it's obviously it includes everybody, and everybody is an integral part of making that uh, that 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 program work and and make it work as well as it does. Yeah. Okay, and so the idea today is for you to tell people um, here in Columbus and beyond all the great things you're doing and. 
I guess as, as we've talked before, sort of the, the foundation of breast cancer treatment is early detection through screening. Right. So what are, what are some of your advances and techniques and, and just the importance of, of breast cancer screening? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the, the screening as for so many cancers is just the, the, the early detection and then the, the being able to intervene early. Um, and and we, we talked a little bit about prevention as well, uh, you know, just identifying those families or those patients that may be at high risk that may not have cancer yet, but plugging them into the appropriate program. And we certainly have that within the breast center. Um, and then being more aggressive, more vigilant about the screening and kind of discussing um, options for them for their treatment. And that may include just observation, very close observation as they're going through family planning and building families and, and, and maybe not having to intervene, but uh, maybe certainly wanting to intervene before a cancer um, occurs. But then that, that falls into that screening part uh, where we have available not only within the brick and mortar of the Stephanie Spielman Center, but now with the satellite clinics that are available and satellite imaging uh, facilities that we have available where our technologists and our radiologists that are breast specific um, will actually staff these around the city and, and to provide a tremendous amount of access for patients to be able to get screened and then um, obviously go on to diagnostic imaging if necessary. So you have centers all over the city because some people have difficulties um, right. uh, getting places and you also have a mobile mammography unit Absolutely correct. that goes yeah. all over the yeah. state and serves yeah. underserved populations. Yeah, and we, we, we again, we try to meet the patients as close to their home as we can because we do recognize that it is difficult to drive and it's difficult to uh, you know, to get appointments, to find parking and all those things. So we do want to make it as easy for the patients as possible. And that includes the, the, the mobile mammography unit uh, that goes all the way into, into Appalachia and, uh, uh, and, and really tries to serve um, communities that have little or no access to some of the technology that we, we can bring to their communities. Yeah, you brought up a couple things I want to follow up on. And starting with that, the the mobile mammography unit and reaching out to underserved populations—that's mm -hmm. become a term that's got that's become more in the news lately. But you've been doing it for a long time, reaching out to um, urban centers where women may not have, due to socioeconomic problems, may not have access to mammograms, or in rural Appalachia, there just right. isn't a center within 100 miles right. of where they live where they can get screening. You've you, you, meaning the James and the Spielman, have been doing this for a decade or more. You're right. Yeah, yeah, it's been going on a little over a decade, and and we, in fact, we just had a meeting about it today. Where we identified some of the hurdles that we that patients may encounter that may be socioeconomic, it may be just distance, geographic distance. But we find patients with with language barriers, with cultural yeah. barriers, and so we're we're making every effort uh, in in trying to include those patients, reach out to those patient communities, and 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 allow them to kind of, I guess, feel the warmth of the Stephanie Spielman and, 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 uh, and, and try to get to them and um, bring them in through screening, hopefully not have to treat, but if right. necessary, absolutely, we're, we're available to treat those patients as well. And we're trying to get that word out, make sure that everybody knows that that is available. And, um, and we, we're constantly kind of trying to send our feelers out further to, to make sure that nobody is, um, is left in the dark, so to speak. And the other thing you said I wanted to follow up on is this high-risk, I'm not sure of the exact term, high-risk breast clinic, or but 
there are women who have ge certain genetic mutations, a family history, they need to be watched really, really closely. So what exactly is the, the high-risk clinic that... So that's a high, the high-risk breast program is uh, is really a program that exactly as you as you noted identifies tries to identify uh, women and usually it is uh, is found through a family member that uh, was was maybe diagnosed at an early age. So um, uh, anybody with an early early diagnosis of breast cancer will be offered di um, genetic uh, um, testing. And so then, obviously, we, we, we reach out to the remainder of the family and we offer programs to identify who is at risk. That may, They may not all be at risk, but then uh, absolutely genetic counseling, genetic testing will be performed and will be offered to those families and other family members. And then um, we have a, a, a clinic that specifically follows those patients. And that hopefully we're finding the majority uh, being introduced to the majority uh, before they, uh, they develop a breast cancer. Um, and then, as I mentioned, we would, you know, follow them very closely. And then there's a lot of discussion about kind of timing of preventative interventions, usually a surgical intervention for breast cancer to perform uh, like a prophylactic mastectomy, for example, would be an example. Um, and um, but again, that's that's not something that maybe a, a 20 year old may want to face and not, doesn't necessarily have to face. Right. But. It, it requires an, an, a comprehensive program to kind of walk the individual patient through those choices and, and find the right, uh, right timing, right choice for them. So I, I know of a little bit of mm -hmm. a, the BRCA mm -hmm. genetic mutation. Mm -hmm. And if, if a, a parent, a mother or a father yeah. has it, perhaps their children can get it. Mm -hmm. And that's why you it. need to screen, do genetic testing on siblings, family members exactly to correct. catch everyone exactly correct yeah. so, and yeah. then screen them yeah. screen them yeah. to to catch it at the earliest stages when it's really or ideally before even before, before. the cancers developed but so for example as you mentioned the brca1 and 2 mutations are probably the biggest ones right. for breast cancer um, and and those are have lifetime risks between 40 up to 60 70 percent of developing a breast cancer and so those patients we want to identify absolutely before they develop a breast cancer so that we can plug them into these programs. And then we have, fa I mean, absolutely fantastic genetic counselors available that will walk you through all of the, um, uh, I, I guess, all the considerations that come along with that diagnosis because it may not only be breast-specific. In fact, often it isn't. Um, and so then we, 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 we have this program that will absolutely plug the patients into the right resources. So are you saying when you said you can detect it precancerous, is there something sort of like a precancerous polyp in the colon that can be removed? There's just something in the breast that's similar to that? Um, not exactly. So what we would rely on is, is that really that genetic signature, the, oh, okay. the mutation that we're looking for. But then we would, we would uh, look at the breasts with our screening tools very carefully and hopefully find that there is no breast cancer present yet. Uh, but then we would offer that woman um, uh, the, the, or the man the, the ability to, uh, to, to kind of choose and, 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 and weigh their risks, decide when maybe it may be time to perform a prophylactic mastectomy, um, again, to go through maybe some childbearing years, maybe breastfeeding before considering a removal of the breast prior to the development of a breast cancer. Right. That's yeah. what I've heard, that women yeah. tend to want to have children and wait, right. and so they're right. 35, 40, and then right. they right. they reduce their cancer right. risk through what, what you just described. Wow. 
And you also mentioned, you said women and men, and that's true. A right. much, much smaller percentage, but men can develop breast cancer. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And and again, as you mentioned, with the families, we wouldn't we wouldn't only test. I mean, we'd, we'd absolutely extend that to the uh, to the male members of the family as well for that very reason. Yeah, one of yeah. the uh, docs in your center, uh, we did a podcast, and he said he has the BRCA yeah. gene, and yeah. he gets tested. Correct. And correct. so. Knock on wood. Exactly if if it ever develops, they'll get it super early. Right. So, yeah. okay. So, a lot of places all over the country do mammograms. Yeah. And it's not, you know, black and white. It's a bit of an art form. It's a craft. It takes expertise. So what do your people who read mammograms and, and what makes them so good at it? Well, I, 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 there's there's so much to talk about here. I'm so excited about that. And I really should have probably one of our mammography folks here. Um, so I think on a, on a very basic level is this, that our mammography staff, our, our diagnostic imaging uh, folks, um, are all dedicated 100% to uh, to breast breast imaging. So that is, that's what they do day in, day out. All modalities, ultrasound, uh, obviously mammography, um, ABUS. Um, What's uh, ABUS? So, so th this is the, the, this very, very high-tech ultrasound uh, uh, okay. looks. We have the 3D mammography. Um, there is uh, Clarity HD to look at, uh, at at breast imaging now. That's um, the one that takes it like it it, it moves around correct, the breast, so you get correct. like a 3D image, exactly right. so you get yeah. even more yeah. definition. Yeah. So I think we have we have multiple things. From on one end, we have uh, uh, imaging technology, imaging specialists that really are dedicated to only breast imaging and looking at breast imaging, examining breast imaging day in and day out, and so they just become incredible experts, super experts at this. Um, then we also have an incredible array of technology available at their fingertips to, um, you know, to look deeper into something to, first of all, to get the best images that you can, that are available currently, but then also to, to probe further if necessary. Um, and then within that group, even there's a, a, a huge interest in, in using AI um, in kind of combining multiple AI uh, technologies to, to even augment the, the, this expertise further. And that's, I think all of these things are just incredibly exciting. I've heard about that, Hadler, using AI mm -hmm. to help um, technicians read um, mammograms and other types of, mm -hmm. of screenings better. How does that work? Like, how, I mean... Uh, so yeah. I find it fascinating too, and I should probably you, not even you, speak. I should have Dr. Taylor speak uh, about this, yeah. one of our AI specialists. But um, uh, my understanding from he gave an incredible talk very recently to the group is is that there are multiple tools available, where the you, the, the, the 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 computer essentially is trained to examine these images. Um, and then hone in on, on anything that may look abnormal, and it and it, it, it learns over time what what the abnormalities guided by the radiology experts. Um, and my understanding is is that not one platform really is is ready for prime time necessarily, but that they're actually combining multiple of these reading technologies now, and that enhances their accuracy. And so. Somewhere, I think we'll probably find that with the help of uh, of a highly, highly trained radiologist and these uh, these platforms, that that might make um, reading many of those scans faster, easier, and probably more accurate. So it's one more tool for the radiologist exactly to right. use. Exactly right. But still, his his or her skill and experience is the the biggest factor at this stage. Yeah, it's un un unequaled. Yeah, yeah. 
So we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll, st we'll dive into an area that perhaps you're pretty familiar with since you do it every day, and that's treatment and surgery. Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> In today's world, misinformation abounds, but at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, we're addressing today's most relevant health, wellness, science, and research topics, all from the Ohio State experts you can trust. We're tapping into physicians, scientists, and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals, society, and the world. Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with Roman Skoraki, the medical director of the Spielman, and he gave us a great overview on screening and diagnosis and now treatment, which is what you do on a, on a daily basis. But there's, you know, you do three or four types of treatment, but there's so much treatment and so many different treatment options, and they've advanced so far. And this could take hours, but um, you're good at synthesizing. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about treatment. Where do you want to start? Uh, well, let, let me try to distill. I don't know if I can either. Yeah, but. I, I put the pressure on you. <laughs> yeah. um, here, here, I'm looking at my watch. <laughs> the, um, so the treatment, I mean, it really involves all the subspecialties. Um, and so we'll have our medical oncologists, our radiation oncologists, certainly our, our surgical oncologists, and then our plastic surgeons all working together. And it's, it, I mean, you really, really need to uh, individualize that approach for every patient and for every every tumor. Um, and it's not you, we're not just treating the tumor. I mean, it's really it's the it's the overall picture. So many things come into um, into that decision making. So many factors. Now, now um, wait. The, the four things you said. The medical oncologist mm -hmm. is sort of like the quarterback for the patient who guides. I like through to think the, we're all the quarterbacks. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all you surgeons always think <laughs> that's it. fine. But that's the person. <laughs> that would be the person the patient would meet with and who would kind of oversee their treatment and and give them their perhaps chemo or immunotherapy, the surgeon does surgery, Right. the radiation oncologist provides radiation, and the plastic surgeon, which is what you are, is mm -hmm. a vital in rebuilding Correct. and also um, preventing or reversing neurop neuropathy. Correct. And so the, the, I, I would say that the Probably the the first person that you that you meet. So I don't know what, what that, that, that's maybe not the quarterback, maybe the linebacker. I don't know. But first person you meet is, is your surgical oncologist will oh, be surgical. kind of the, oh, okay. the the first handshake uh, with the program for oh, most patients. Okay, um, and then it it may very quickly shift. Um, certainly, our medical oncologists will be the ones that you spend a good six, seven months with if you require chemotherapy, but there is a fair number of patients that may not. Um, and so it's kind of a, it's a little bit like a menu um, where, you know, so, some of those uh, 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 folks you will meet, some of them you may meet once, but then may not require their, their treatment. You may um, not require plastic surgery. You may not need correct. radiation. But, correct. Exactly okay. right. So, yeah, exactly but those are the right. four sort of main physician standing by to to assist and to kind of create that treatment plan for the individual um and and we we talked a little bit i mean certainly other surgical oncologists you know there to do the 
either partial removal of a breast or complete mastectomy, complete removal as necessary, and then also sampling lymph nodes and, and uh, either just one or two or maybe having to take the lymph nodes if there is some involvement in the, uh, in, in the axilla and the armpit. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the, the, I would say, the, the upfront core treatment most of the time. Now, sometimes what we end up doing is, is uh, that folks start off with our, our medical oncologist that what we would call the neoadjuvant uh, chemotherapy treatment, so upfront chemotherapy. And we usually use that if we feel that we may be able to de-escalate, that we may be able to, may be able to do a little bit less surgery than we would have to upfront because some of the tumors just respond so incredibly well um, and so there there may be a you know there's a, a, a different parts of this uh, this equation will will you'll meet at different times and uh, in the end they will all come together to kind of create that perfect treatment plan is that something that's changed in the treatment of breast cancer mm-hmm. over the past 20 or 30 years that and correct me if i'm wrong of course but previously the initial thing was just surgery right off the bat and now, with the development of chemotherapy and immunotherapy, you're doing that first to either shrink or, and sometimes, get rid of the tumor. Is that happening more? I think that's a, that, that's a very I think it's a very appropriate statement. Yeah, I think there's been an incredible change, a shift from uh, in, in in kind of incorporating these different modalities at different times now, um, and it's very dependent on the type of tumor, um, and then very dependent on uh, on on the, the the chemotherapy that's available for s- specific receptors, for example. And you're absolutely right. The the, the combination of of chemotherapy, immunotherapy, these uh, very targeted therapies. For, for specific messengers of individual cells and all of these things are coming together now and it's a from a, from a treatment point of view a very exciting time because so much has happened in a very short period of time and so that that translates into this more neoadjuvant approach for many patients um, where we take a tumor or the lymph nodes are a prime example where if there is an actual axillary nodal involvement where we know that there are tumor cells in the lymph nodes of the axilla traditionally we would have had to remove all of those lymph nodes in including the surrounding normal ones because we wouldn't have known which ones are normal or abnormal now with the neoadjuvant chemo especially if a patient responds remarkably well and we can see that potentially in the primary tumor with with shrinkage or almost complete if not complete disappearance and that will often be mirrored in the in the lymph nodes as well and so rather than having to take all of the lymph nodes we may be able to just take two or three of them find that we're always seeing on pathology then is dead tumor cells in that lymph node and that gives us a greater a greater degree of comfort of leaving the remaining lymph nodes behind uh-huh. knowing that um, that the treatment has been very, very significant and has been complete. Now, I've learned about lymph nodes from you and the word auxilla, which is armpit. Right. And you have your lymph nodes in your armpit, which are the body's drainage system. Right. And it's right. also where the cancer cells spread. So uh, just to, to explain this to, to people, so if there are cancer cells in the lymph nodes, that means it has or could spread throughout the body but if there's not or if you've treated them then you can remove less which reduces the possibility of neuropathy um the, the possibility of uh, of of lymphedema lymphedema yeah, Why yeah, yeah the not, swelling i'm sorry neuropathy is the foot thing i'm sorry neuropathy is the sensation yes, yeah, the loss lymphedema of lymphedema yeah. is the swelling no, of the right. arms or the legs exactly right. where you're an expert exactly in right. that type of surgery exactly connecting right. the nerves yeah. and reducing that yeah i'm sorry no no that's perfectly that's fine 
So, so we're trying to avoid again. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to put but, myself out of business. Really, but, we're yeah, trying to by avoid taking the, less exactly lymph right. nodes out. Exactly right. You can exactly right. And that leads me to think that again, caught early, mm-hmm. it hasn't spread to the lymph nodes. Mm-hmm. The, the success rate is like way over ninety percent. Correct. But what happens in women that you don't catch it early? It's in a late stage, and it's gone. The cancer has gone into the lymph nodes. What happens next that makes breast cancer deadly? Because it's not something that happens in your in the breast that kills a woman. It's where it spreads and Correct. does, does the damage, right? right? And so, and you're right. I mean, the, the, the generally speaking, the first point of of uh, where, where cells may be caught, where, where they may be um, filtered, is is the lymph nodes in the armpit. Um, and so that's why it's it's almost like a surrogate. Is this, if there if you don't yeah, find any right. there, the chances of finding cells elsewhere in the body is very very slim. Um, so the 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 um, but but cells can certainly go beyond, especially if there's actually nodal involvement. Cells can go and they can spread throughout the body, and so they can go to the lungs, brain, uh, bone, um, and so that's. That's usually the the and that's the, what leads the, to the, the, the the more morbid uh, um, uh, stages of of late stage breast cancer. Um, again, I think that you you alluded to kind of the, the the chemotherapy advances and immunotherapy advances, and we're finding that um, there's a, a, a tremendous shift. That there's just uh, even with with disease beyond that, with metastatic breast cancer, um, that survival and quality of life. Anymore. Yeah. has improved dramatically yeah. yeah wow and and is and continuing to improve correct exactly right well that leads us to another area which is becoming more and more important survivorship people mm-hmm. who are going to live cancer-free or with cancer for extended periods and that's that's a new term that's that's that you're hearing more and more what does it mean and how do you apply that to help patients yeah, survivorship. I think is a is a great term. It's a it's a it's a little bit of a tough one because it's a a little bit of a grab bag. I think for many things right now. So survivorship to me is in one uh, one area is kind of more the the ongoing active treatment of someone with with breast cancer. As you as you mentioned, is we have patients that have uh, metastatic breast cancer who live for years and we live for decades. Um, with with active breast cancer, but the the, the ongoing treatment, ongoing therapy, these immunotherapies uh, and uh, AIs and all these types of different uh, uh, drugs that are available now. A- you that, said AIs. Uh, yeah, uh, aromatase inhibitors. Oh, okay. Yeah, so these these different drugs that are available that that will. Um, um, essentially kind of keep the tumor at bay, will keep the, the tumor cells um, um, uh, from, from spreading, from, uh, from growing, um, are allowing patients to have uh, high, very high functioning and high quality of life uh, for many, many years. And so that's, I think, one part of survivorship. And we certainly have multiple programs within that, and our our uh, medical oncologists all have their their special interests in in, in different uh, um, tumor types for that. Um, but then, and, and that includes also, for example, our uh, kind of living well with advanced breast cancer clinic, and we we put on uh, kind of annual um, conferences for patients with that to to keep up to date with kind of the newest advances. And so that's I, I would say one part of survivorship. The other part of survivorship is is really looking at quality of life. 
enhancing sort of quality of life, not necessarily even in someone with um, uh, with uh, ongoing or, or metastatic disease, but in patients that are survivors of breast cancer that have no no evidence of disease, um, but that are uh, uh, have this journey behind them, and and now are just trying to regain a, 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 a sense of normalcy and 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 kind of reengage with uh, with with their normal lives, and so we have a, a tremendous number of programs that are available for that, and they are physical, emotional, um, gardening, um, I mean, all of these different survivorship programs that I think also fall under that umbrella. So I think it's a, it's a grab bag of many, many things, sexuality and, and, and learning about uh, um, kind of maybe a change in sexuality with hormonal changes and all those things are part of that survivorship journey um, that, that we would love to support for patients. Yeah, as you're speaking, I'm thinking that's another thing that's changed in the last 20 years that uh, cancer centers, cancer hospitals take a holistic approach. And you, it's not just treating this patient's cancer and cutting it out and giving them drugs. It's their whole life and how do we right. help them with right. every aspect of their life by right. providing programs to bring women together, to teach them, to give them some joy, to have them right. involved in activities. Right. It, it's It's... It's just a bigger than surgery and, and drugs. Absolutely. And I think the recognition, and you pointed this out, is, is that the, 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 anything we do will have some type of an effect on the, on the person, on the individual, on the, on the, on the biology that is that individual. Um, and so I think we, we spend a lot of time and effort in, in, in trying to normalize that or, or, or finding ways to really kind of bring that individual back to their normal functioning status, to their normal their, way of enjoying their, their life. New, to, normal. <laughs> new, new normal. New yeah, normal, yeah. Your life yeah. has changed. No, you're right. Yeah. You're absolutely I right. Mean, yeah. yeah. So, whew, that's a lot. And there's only one. And we're just scratching the surface. I know. <laughs> All right, should we make this a, a weekly thing? Then? Yes, I think we should. <laughs> we should. I would love to bring in some friends. We could highlight so many things. Well, when we're done recording, you're going to give me a list of three or four people All right. I would on love your that. team that I should I do would future love podcasts for. I would love and, that. And we'll do that. Because yeah. you're right. It's... Yeah. You're the, you're the you are the the quarterback of this giant team, <laughs> but you have a lot of people on your team doing great work. We've, oh, absolutely! And we, but give me one or two sort of new things, new cutting edge things that, that have started in the past few months that that you're excited about. Um, I think one program that one of our actually again it's a, it's a definitely a team approach uh, that, that was recently started is our inflammatory breast cancer program, and this is specifically designed for patients who present with inflammatory breast cancer, which is a very aggressive form of breast cancer, um, whereas in in other forms of breast cancer, kind of the the, the treatment course from presentation to treatment can can easily take weeks to even a couple of months which is absolutely safe because it tends to be a much more slow growing process in inflammatory breast cancer we don't have that luxury it's really it's a process that that evolves it within weeks what what is that inflammatory breast cancer so it's just a, a, it's a type of a specific type of presentation it's not as though it's a it's a different type of breast cancer it is a breast cancer um, but it just presents differently. It presents in a much more uh, aggressive it, way. Usually, um, uh, commonly, uh, it presents with a swollen red breast, something that uh, it almost mimics uh, an infection, um, a breast infection. And so it's very difficult sometimes to tease that apart until you have appropriate imaging and inve investigation done.
So that's a situation where we can take where we need to take the entire infrastructure that we have available and and really kick it into high gear. So it's a program where um, if we hear about that patient, we will reach out or if the patient comes to our diagnostic center, to our screening center, and we and everybody is in tune to this, everybody will identify that patient quickly. Um, and they will be in a treatment um, situation within a week. Uh, I mean, we'll have them uh, see our our specialists and, and work them up within days, and, and they will start uh, treatment within a week or so. Because if their breast cancer is growing faster, it's going to metastasize faster, and Call of, exactly right. Yeah, the again, spread. Yeah, yeah. And again, this is a, a perfect example of why you want to come to the Spielman, a center devoted just to breast cancer, because some other places may see this once every five years. You see this all the time and have doctors that know exactly what to do. Yeah, and I think especially with this uh, with this program now, I think that uh, the, the, our, our colleagues around the uh, the state are, are, are very much in, in tune with that now and, and, and also know that they can send those people to us and that we are we have the infrastructure to, to kind of mobilize the troops very quickly and, and have them taken care of. So that's a really exciting program. We're very... I'm very thankful for everybody who's who's part of it, who's who's ready and willing to, you know, add that patient in immediately into their clinic that same day and 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 look after them. Another, I think, another thing that we're excited about is we're working on building a um, a, a program specifically for patients with brain metastases. Um, so obviously, very specific needs, very uh, uh, specific needs from a. A support point of view, but also from a care team point of view. So we're bringing in kind of specialists in neurosurgery that have a special interest, our radiation oncology folks, our medical oncology. Um, and so we're, we're, we're building a program that kind of um, uh, yeah, brings all of these specialties together also from a research point of view um, and, and really advances the care and then the, uh, the, the innovation around that. So when you say brain metastases, mm-hmm. this is breast cancer that's spread to the brain correct and even though it's cancer in the brain it's it's the genetically it's breast cancer and it has to be treated as breast cancer yeah from the the cells that 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 that, 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 is, that are, are are causing it are uh, have come from the breast they're not brain cells they're absolutely right. breast cells so, yeah you're absolutely right and and how do you treat that? What's what are the some of the advances that are hopefully so? And generally speaking, that's why I mentioned those three specialties. It's usually a combination of therapies, either surgery, uh, usually combined with radiation, and, and absolutely always combined with with chemotherapy as well. Now, would that be something that one of the surgeons from the Spielman would do, or one of the surgeons that are more so one of the James yeah yeah that would be our our James neurosurgeons yeah because surgery has become so specialized that someone who's a breast cancer surgeon specialist is not going to be the person you want in the brain and vice versa with the with the neurosurgeon that's correct it's it's become so specialized and again why you need to go to a comprehensive cancer center absolutely correct and i think it but it is still important that or particularly important that that there is that that talk you know that we yeah. we, we have the luxury of being in the same building but by building these types of programs there's constant exchange among the members and so that's where you really move treatment and innovation forward so i take it that what you just said, innovation and moving forward is what drives you to, to keep doing this. So what, what does, is that true? What does drive you to uh, see patients, operate on patients, be the, the medical oncology surgical director, to be the medical director of the Spielman? What drives you to, to do all this? 
I, I, I mean, it's absolutely the patients. It's the it's our patients, and then my colleagues. I mean, I I can't over overemphasize. I think it's really that 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 family feel, and I think the certainly my colleagues. I feel like are part of that family very much so. But then also the patient becomes a member of that family, and so I think it's it's it, you you have that more than more than intellectual. Um, sense of responsibility is a very much an emotional attachment as well where you really don't want to let any of your family members down you really yeah. want to push that envelope you want to give them the very best and 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 try to figure out those things that uh, well you may not have the answer to um, and then it's it's nice to have that group around you we can all you know work together and and um, bounce ideas off each other and and really kind of move things forward Okay, well, Roman, thank you again for sharing all this great information and all the great work you and your team of 300-plus amazing doctors, technicians, physical therapists, nurses, and, and so on are doing over at the Spielman. Thank, thank you for having me. It's an absolute joy, and it's a, a pleasure to be able to brag a little bit. Okay. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Feel free to brag anytime you want. <laughs> thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.